0: Okay. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Very well. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers too. Well, (coughs) unfortunately, I won't be won't be speaking this morning on Mother's Day. (laughs) Uh, (coughs) I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter two. and we'll be reading from hebrews chapter 2 from verse 5 through verse 18. it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking but there is a place where someone has testified what is mankind that you are mindful of them or the son of man that you care for him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his, their feet. And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels, a little, for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that they, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. But bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through which what he suffered. Both the one who makes the people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly and I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I (coughs) and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too (coughs) shared in their humanity so that by death he might break the power of him who has holds the power of death that is the devil and free those who all their lives have been held in slavery by the fear of death for surely he it is not the angels he helps but abraham's descendants for this reason he has been made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make (coughs) atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Lord, we thank you. for your word, and I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would open the words that we have read to our hearts this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would come and speak to us. I pray, Lord, that you would (coughs) uh, help me to be able to express what you've put in my heart, what you want to say this morning. And we thank you, Lord, (coughs) in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. The book of Hebrews was written to an urban church at times of the Roman Empire. A church that was very discouraged, that was very fearful, that was wondering if they were gonna make it or not. And in Hebrews chapter two, we have something that is uh, very special and very powerful for us. The answer that Jesus gives, the answer that the Bible gives, that when we are discouraged, when we are wondering, when we are full of fear, the answer that jesus gives is this look to jesus look to jesus now hebrews chapter 2 is in strong contrast to what we find in hebrews chapter 1 because in hebrews chapter 1 jesus is, is is exalted jesus is the one who has created The whole creation Jesus is the one who holds all things together by the word of his power and yet in Hebrews chapter 2 we see a little different Jesus we see a Jesus that has left his glory we have we see a Jesus that has come to suffer And yet we see a Jesus in three ways in this chapter. Number one, we see Jesus who is your king. Number two, we see Jesus who is your redeemer. And number three, we see Jesus as our elder brother. We see Jesus as the King who is totally involved in your life. We see Jesus as the Redeemer who is complete, totally freed us from the bondage of the fear of death. And thirdly, we see Jesus. and. <laughs> This is what I really have on my heart this morning to share with you. We see Jesus as your elder brother who is proud of you. Jesus, the king that is involved with you. Jesus, the redeemer that has freed you from the fear of death and Jesus, our elder brother who is proud of you now <clears throat> i've been doing a course online <laughs> of the rise and the fall of the roman empire i find it very interesting because <clears throat> one of the questions that has come to me through this course is well did the Romans actually defeat Greece. They did militarily, but did they philosophically and culturally? Because what the Romans did was when they defeated Greece, they took all the Greek gods and just gave them Roman names and the Greek and Roman gods were the gods who were seated high on Mount Olympus, who were drinking wine, who were being served by young maidens, and every once in a while, well, if they got bored, they would cry down the commandments to the people. Now, Jesus is nothing like that. Jesus isn't seated on Mount Olympus yelling down his commands to us. Jesus is the God who has come down and has been totally involved in our lives. It actually says here, one of the verses we read, says, he who sanctifies, I think it's verse 10, he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are of the same family. We're of the same family. Jesus came and became totally human. Jesus came and took on human flesh. He left his glory in heaven and he came to suffer. He came to suffer for us. He came at the cost of his life so that we could become part of his family. And the amazing thing is that the sufferings of Jesus actually increased his glory. Jesus suffered and increased his glory. And it's the same thing that will be absolutely true of us as paul says in romans chapter 8 i am fully persuaded that the sufferings of this present age are nothing to be compared to the glory that we will have in him now the uh, the <clears throat> the author of hebrews here quotes Psalm eight. Who is man that you would that you would think of him? Who is the son of man that you would cure of him? And yet, you have given him glory and honor. You have put all things under his feet. Now this is a reference to Genesis chapters one and two, where. God made man in his image and gave him dominion over all things. But here, (coughs) the psalmist, uh, the the author of Hebrews, adds something that's not in Genesis chapter 1. It's actually in Genesis chapter 3. He says, we do not see at this present time all things subject to us. And so, when the author of Hebrews quotes for us Psalm 8, he is quoting to us Psalm 8 through the eyes of Jesus. Psalm 8 is not yet true of us, but it is true of Jesus. And it will be true of us who are in Jesus. And here, (coughs) Jesus is king because he has come down and has been fully involved in our lives. He has given his life so that we might share in his glory. Now, the second point Jesus is our redeemer, comes in right here because something has happened. First he tells us in Psalm, we have been crowned with glory and honor. But then he says something happened because we do not see things submitted to us and to him. He hears our cry He hears our fear. And yet, (coughs) there's something that has happened. Sin has come into the world. Jesus hears our cries. Jesus hears our suffering. Jesus hears our fears. So what does he do about it? What does God do about it? He does do something about it. He comes and he becomes fully human. And he takes our place. He dies on the cross. So we could be forgiven, so we could come in and become part of the family of God. Now, the whole book of, not just Hebrews chapter two, but the whole book of Hebrews answers the question And this is the question we all have, and this is the question we are all wrestling with. The question is, if God is love, why is life so difficult? If God is love, why is life so difficult? Why is life so painful? Why is life so fearful? And the question, the main question that Jesus has come to answer is, when it says what we have read, that Jesus has freed us from the fear of death that has held us captive and this is one of the questions that the entire society is asking. Now, <clears throat> when we were in Italy, my, my son-in-law was the director of university for Turin, for the University of Turin. And <clears throat> one time, he invited Alistair McGaff. I don't know if you probably haven't ever heard of who McGallister McGaff You would know how, who, who Alan McGaff was. He is a British pastor, a British theologian, very much involved in uh, <coughs> InterVarsity. And I would call him John Stott, number two or the the heir of John Stott. I mean, he is that, well, he's that good. And he came to Torino and (coughs) there was a a classroom, large classroom, University of Torino, and he came. And so what did he speak about? He spoke about the fear of death. And (coughs) That day the classroom was pretty mixed there was many Christians many non-Christians and when he spoke about the fear of death there was absolute silence because the fear of death is something we try to avoid talking about we don't want to talk about it and <coughs> that day uh, he talked about the fear of death. And Jesus has come to redeem us from the fear of death. Hamlet got it all wrong. Hamlet said, the, uh, death is a journey that we take that which we can never come back from. He got it wrong because Jesus did. It was the death and the resurrection of Jesus that frees us from the fear of death. Tolstoy, a famous writer, when he turned 50 years old, he wrote his his confessions. And one of the things that he said in his confessions was, that he had this absolute fear of death. If death is all that there is, he said, everything I have done, everything I have written, everything I have ever thought is totally lost. It's totally useless. It's gone with death. When I die, everything I have done Will be lost. Everything is vanity. Now <laughs> just a couple weeks ago I just finished reading Ecclesiastes and there Solomon says vanity of vanities all is vanity. But you know what vanity really you know what vanity really is. You know what the true true definition of vanity is Vanity is getting out of breath over nothing. Using all your energy, using all your forts, your strength, <laughs> using everything. Mu- musicians are like that. Actors are like that. Writers are like that. They're so sensitive and they struggle and they strive to get to the top of the profession and when they get to the top of it, they find it's totally empty. It wasn't what they thought. And they go into depression and they go into fear. Jesus, by his death and by his resurrection, has, co- has blown a hole in death. He's blown a hole in fear. He's blown a hole in everything that makes life difficult. Because he is life. He is our life. <coughs> I, just be- <laughs> I just began reading again, um, Plato's Republic. Most people don't read the things that I read. I read crazy things. And in Plato's Republic, uh, Plato says in one of the books, <coughs> He says something that would be completely crazy to us, and yet it is exactly where we are today. Plato says this, he says some men are made, he doesn't actually say how men are made, but he does say some men are made with gold. They have gold in them, and they are the ones that are destined to be the leaders. And some people are made with silver, and they are the ones that are destined to be the underleaders, the magistrates, and people up there. And everybody else is made with clay and iron. They are the common people and the slaves. Now, that sounds absolutely crazy to us, but it's absolutely where we are. We wouldn't say it in those ways that way but we would say it there is class distinction people are put in classes and if you're in one class you can never go up to the next class jesus blew all that away we are one family he has come to make us one family and. He is our elder brother who is proud of us. We would never think that. We would never think that way. How can Jesus be proud of me? And yet he is. He's proud of us. The reason we don't look, we don't look at ourselves as being, you know, uh, <coughs> being uh, something is because we're always looking to ourselves. If I look to myself, what am I going to see? I'm going to see who I am. I'm going to see all the places I failed, all the sins I've committed, all the things I haven't done that I should have done. I'll tell you a scary story that happened to me one time when we went to Sardinia. <coughs> it was this town that had one believer in it. She was an old lady. Antiochia was her name. (laughs) And almost every Sunday, we would go visit her. It's way up in the mountains, in a town, a small town. And one day as we were visiting her, this woman enters the house, she knocks on her, she comes in. And she promptly announces to me that she is the Madonna of Arabus. Arabus was the town. She was the Madonna of Arabus. She said, I know who you are. I know what you want to do here, and you're not going to be able to do it because, and then she promptly listed almost every sin I ever did in my whole life and walked out. That was my past, but it was not my present. Jesus canceled my past and has given me a new beginning, a new life, a life where he is not ashamed of me. And that's probably one of the main points I want to talk about, shame. There are several, a few places in the Bible where it says that he who believes in him will never be put to shame. David cries out in several places in the Bible, Lord, don't let me be put to shame. Shame is much more powerful than guilt is. Shame actually humiliates you. Shame tears you up inside. Shame almost brings you to the place where it's almost cannot be redeemed. And yet, Jesus, when he came and died on the cross, destroyed shame. Now, when we were in Sardinia, I had a letter. I got a letter from uh, the principal of one of the Weck Bible Schools in Tasmania. And this principal wrote to me, and he said, "Lorenzo, I am sending you the best student we've ever had in the history of the school." So oh, no, yeah, that's great. i was looking forward to that. And her name was Adele, and she comes. Sardinia and she might have been the best student in the history of the school but she was totally unprepared to the culture of Italy and she just couldn't make it. She had this enormous desire to be married She was single. She was about 30-something. She was single, and she had this enormous desire. So that was kind of what was dominating her life. But what really opened my eyes, and I was young and dumb in those days. Wasn't as smart as I am now. (laughs) I was young and dumb. And one day, her parents came to visit her from Australia. And we were sitting at the breakfast table and all of a sudden somebody, probably me, somebody spilled the milk on the table, breakfast. And her father responded, well, at least this time it wasn't Adele. And when he said that, that went right through me. Because I thought, well, How can a father shame her daughter like that? As if she was the one that was always spilling the milk. We had, uh, we were doing, we were counseling a young woman. So it was at Torino. We're counseling a young woman, she's 45 years old. And she suffered for 20 years with bulimia. And we were really making some really, really significant progress with her. And she was an artist. She was a very talented artist. A a very, (laughs) very rebellious artist. She was talented because she was totally outside the box. She did not follow the rules of good art but yet it was very effective and uh, (coughs) she would use she she would paint these enormous paintings they weren't just paintings like that they were wall length paintings and she was very her her perspective was uh, really good and her use of colors were perfect the only defect that she had was that when she would paint people, and she always had people in her paintings, when she would paint people, she would always paint them as skeletons, which it's kind of weird. So one day she had just finished her one of her um, paintings. She took a picture of it. She sent it to me by email. And I looked at this picture and I said, yes, this is Ilalia." And I shot off a, a, a quick email to her and I said, "Ilalia, I am very proud of you. Even though <laughs> some of the things on that uh, painting were things we need to talk about. <laughs> I said, I'm very proud of you. And she, called, she immediately called me up absolutely sobbing. And she said, nobody in my whole life ever told me they were proud of me. But I'm telling you this morning, Jesus, our elder brother, is proud of you. Now, if you're not American, <laughs> see <laughs> if you're not American, you will understand this more than us crunky Americans could understand. Now, in America, if we want to put ourselves forward, what do we do? We write our resume, and we include in our resume everything we've ever done, everything good we've ever done. You know, we really want to put ourselves forward and really want to give a good impression. S- so much uh, individualistic America—you never put your genet- anyone that uh, you are ashamed of. You never put on your. Anything you did, shame for you, never put that on there. Uh, (coughs) And so we present our curriculum. Well, back in ancient days, you wouldn't write your curriculum. What you would write was your genealogy. And the reason you would write your genealogy is, and even today in America, even though we write our resume and we think well i have been formed by the decisions i have made i have been formed by all the things that i have done actually the biggest thing that has formed you is your family we would never say that but it's true so in ancient times you would write you, you would write your genealogy you would never put in your genealogy anybody that you were ashamed of. Only good people, only the best people. And (coughs) so you would put your, the Roman emperors always did that. Always put the best people on here. But if we look in Matthew chapter one, you don't have to turn there now, Matthew chapter one, where there's Jesus' genealogy, Jesus' genealogy in Jesus' genealogy it actually has four or five women. Nobody would ever put women in their genealogy. They were of a very low status. But Jesus had four or five women. He had Tamar, who was recovering from incest. He had Bathsheba, who was an adulteress. And Rahab, who was a prostitute. Mary, who was a single mother, nobody would put that in their, process, in their genealogy. And yes, the genealogies of Jesus had all these people in it. Because Jesus has blown a hole in everything that separates us from God. That means the worst person there ever was the worst thing you could ever do, you could still be included in the family of God by repentance and faith in Jesus because Jesus doesn't reject anybody because he was rejected for us. He became fully human, so he is able to help those. Jesus hears our cries. He knows the world is not under our feet yet. And yet he has come and he has lifted us up. Samuel chapter two, the great hymn of Hannah. He has taken those that are on the dust heap and has seated them with princes. He has taken those the most needy and has seated them in high places. So don't ever say, Jesus, my eldest brother, is not proud of me. Because he absolutely is. Because what he has done, he has come down, he's not out sitting on Mount Olympus, crying down. He has come down. He is totally involved in our lives. And he will be to the very end. He has come to free those that have the fear of death. Now I'm going to have to get myself in trouble now because Dave (laughs) has been giving us on Wednesday evenings a very challenging lessons in the last days. Now I'm going to say this, in the last days, I was at, first of all, I wouldn't fit in any of the three (laughs) categories that he described. But Jesus The sum of it all is this. Jesus has secured our future. And he's waiting for us. Jesus has secured our future. And there is no need to fear. He's done it all. He's defeated sin. He has demolished, he has demolished our past. And he has given us a new future. Our elder brother is not ashamed of us. And we shouldn't fear, even though we go through a lot of pain, even though we go through a lot of fear, even though life is so difficult, Jesus has come Jesus has come down and Jesus has lifted us up and our future is totally secure because of what Jesus has done Jesus is your king who is totally involved in your life Jesus is your redeemer who has free- freed you from this fear of death. And D- Jesus is your elder brother who is not ashamed of you. Let that sink into the deepest recesses of your heart. Jesus is the L- our elder brother who is not ashamed of us. Let's pray. heavenly father i don't even know how we can respond to all that you have done for us lord you have come down you are totally involved in our lives you totally protect us you totally redeem us You feel the things that we feel. You've been through the things that we have been through. So Lord, the only thing that we can do is to fall down at your feet and worship and praise you. And yet, Lord, how can we ever thank you enough? How can we ever praise you enough? How can we ever worship you enough for all that you have suffered for all that you have given us, the way that you have lifted us up out of all fear and all danger. And we just, Lord, want to reach out and cling to you. Father, we thank you (coughs) that you're not up on Mount Olympus, but you actually came down. You actually defeated death. You defeated sin and death so that we should no longer live in fear but in praise and glory and honor to you so lord i pray that your holy spirit this morning and not only this morning but throughout our lives would do a very deep work in our hearts and freeing totally freeing us from fear and preoccupation and worry because all things are in your hands and we are in your hands. And we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Forgive me this morning if a message was a bit uh, choppy, (laughs) Uh, but I trust that the Lord has spoken to our hearts. Ah.